0: All right, turning your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. Um, we're going to continue in our series um, from the book of Exodus, free at last. And we are looking uh, at verses 18 through 21 this morning of Exodus chapter 20. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him." may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, as we all of us gather now uh, before Your Word, uh, we pray that You would help us to submit to Your Word, to believe it, to lay it up in our hearts, to practice it in our lives, Uh, I pray that you would do that work in us by the power of your Spirit, that you would conform us in the image, to the image of your Son as we together listen to your Word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One writer says, fear can give us a healthy dose of reality. Fire can be used to light up a dark room, but it also has a fearsome power and can destroy an entire forest or neighborhood. We have a healthy fear of fire, respecting its power. Volcanoes, Volcanoes can create islands, but we must have a healthy fear of their power and not be cavalier when approaching them. When we don't show proper respect or fear for nature, disaster can result. When the Israelites approached Mount Sinai, to enter into a formal relationship with the Lord, to be his people, and they, his God, uh, and he their God. They were not dealing with nature, but rather with the one who brought everything into the natural order of, of things. Indeed, God's descent on Mount Sinai and what we call Uh, a theophany was in part a demonstration of his power over the natural order. The lightning, the thunder, the smoke, and even the trumpet sound were all displays of the awesomeness of God's power and were meant to impress upon the people that they were approaching someone who was to be feared. Indeed, the one who was to be ultimately feared above all in their lives. That the people were not wrong to fear God is clearly indicated in the recounting of this story in Deuteronomy 5. In that passage, God responds to the people's words to Moses about not hearing the voice of God lest they die and having Moses intercede for them by saying this, "'I have heard the words of this people,' which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. In other words, God says that their fear of him in this moment was The proper response, and that if they would only keep that fear, it would actually be to their well-being. And yet, in the passage uh, uh, in Exodus, we hear Moses say two things about this fear of God that that don't seem at first to fit. Uh, in, In verse 20, we read this, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you. That you may not sin. In other words, don't fear, but fear. Don't fear, but fear. And you're left thinking, you know, like, wait a minute, which one is it? Do I not fear or do I fear? The answer comes from the Word of God itself, which tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It is right, in other words, brothers and sisters, to fear the Lord. Only that fear is not meant to drive us away from Him in terror, but rather to draw us near to Him in reverence. Moses' do not be afraid is a call to the people to not draw back from the Lord, but to draw near to Him. It is in in fearing the Lord that our lives are shaped toward their proper end. It is in fearing the Lord that we gain wisdom. It is in fearing the Lord that we gain knowledge. It is in fearing the Lord that we learn how to live lives that reflect His image in the world. The fruit of the gospel is the freedom from fear, but not freedom from a proper fear of God. Jesus, through his sacrifice, has freed us from the guilt of our sin. He has freed us from the wages of that sin, which is death. There is therefore now no condemnation, no fear of rejection, no fear of death, no fear of hell. There is therefore now no condemnation. It is the freedom from those fears that now enables us to hear the words of the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God." We often call this kind of fear reverence, that deep respect or awe and honor that causes us to act accordingly toward the object of that reverence. God was teaching His people through this whole covenant ceremony what it meant to fear Him, to reverence Him as God. This fear of God, this reverence is still the calling of God's people under the new covenant. As those who have come to Mount Zion, as the writer of Hebrews calls it, to the kingdom of God in Christ, we are still called. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so, worship God acceptable, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." So if, as I said, this fear of God is meant to shape us, then the question is, in what ways does that fear of God shape us? Well, first of all, uh, brothers and sisters, it gives us a greater appreciation of God's glory. greater appreciation of God's glory. Listen again to verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. As the Lord closes uh, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, we are reminded of how this covenant ceremony had begun. Uh, in, In chapter 19, we read, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Chapter 19, verses 17 through 19, the impression we are meant to get is that the visuals and the sounds of God descending uh, on the mountain remained present as, the, as, as He spoke the Ten Commandments to His people. And of course, this was not the first time that Israel had been presented with the greatness of their God in visual demonstrations of His power. They had also witnessed the Ten Plagues that God brought on Egypt in setting His people free. And God's purpose, brothers and sisters, in this is to give His people some idea of His magnificence. He wants them to understand his greatness above any, anything and everything that is in this world, to know that there is nothing and no one more renowned, more to be honored, more beautiful, more powerful, more majestic than him. We marvel at the glory of mountains, at their height, their seeming vastness, and their strength. It's no accident then that the fire from God's descent causes the whole mountain of Mount Sinai to be wrapped in smoke. Yet the glory is not just in the visuals, but in the words that God has just spoken to His people, words which will be fleshed out even more in the more detailed regulations of how to put these commands into practice in their everyday life as a community. Moses understood the greatness of God's law, saying to the people in Deuteronomy 4, See, I have taught you statues and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, you that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who, when they hear all these statues, will say… Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what great nation is there that has a god so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him and what nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today the fear the fear of the lord brothers and sisters shapes in us a greater greater appreciation for the glory of God, the glory of His person, the glory of His Word, greater appreciation for the one who is majestic in all He does and all He says. And it is this glory that we see fully now in Jesus, of whom it is written, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, truth." the majesty of that theophany on Mount Sinai and the majesty of those words spoken from Mount Sinai have now come to full expression in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To reverence the Father is to reverence the Son who is also God, blessed forever and shares in the glory of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To fear God is to grow in our appreciation of His glory, a glory that we fully see now in relationship with Jesus. Which begs the question, for us this morning. Is Jesus the most glorious thing in your life? Is the glory of Jesus the most glorious thing in your life? Fear of the Lord should lead to a greater appreciation for the glory of our God, the glory that in the New Covenant is fully manifested in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the way we know if we are growing in our appreciation for the glory of God and the person of Jesus, is to examine if we are indeed being transformed by that glory. As we see it, as we behold it in Jesus, is it transforming us? And speaking of the greater glory of the new covenant, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, "...and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord." who is the Spirit. As we deepen in our knowledge, our understanding, our experience with Christ, are we changing? Are we in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, becoming more and more like our Lord? Indeed, the Word of God says that this is the purpose of God for us. For those who He foreknew, foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so, brothers and sisters, the call is to submit to that transforming work of God through His Spirit, to cooperate with the Spirit and allowing that glory that we see in Jesus to be shaped in us. Is to allow His humility, His love, His gentleness, His mercy, His kindness to be shaped in us. To fear the Lord is to have a greater appreciation for the glory of God, a glory that is meant to transform us and renew us and shape us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Reverence for God leads down this path of transformation as we more and more behold the glory of our Lord. Amen. The fear of the Lord leads to a greater appreciation of the glory of our God, it also leads to our sanctification. Listen again to Moses' response to the people's fear. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. What does God want for his people? He wants them to be free from sin, to be free from what leads to death in all of their relationships. To be free from what leads to death in their relationship with Him, with, with, with ourselves, with each other, with our neighbors. God, through His laws, was not just teaching Israel what sin is, but also what righteousness is, what leads to life. Paul himself, in speaking about God's law, will say the law is holy and, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. In other words, the problem is not, is what, the problem is not with what God has commanded the problem is with us. And the people will come to learn that they cannot gain righteous standing through the law, that they are guilty and need a Savior, but, but the life that the law points toward will remain possible for all those who look to God by faith for the grace and power to do what He says. Indeed, the coming of Jesus is not a relaxation of God's commands but rather a new standing and power through the Spirit to do what He commands and to know that when we fail, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Righteous One. Just remember as Christians what John tells us, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5 and 3 The point is that the fear of God moves us to put to death the deeds of the body, as Paul says. The fear of God is a sanctifying fear that motivates us to care about living out our salvation in thought, in word, in deed, as God calls us to. Yes, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, as Paul reminds us in Titus 2. But he also tells us in Philippians 2, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. How? With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God desires our sanctification. He is committed to conforming us into the image of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as He was committed to shaping and forming His old covenant community, so He is in conforming us under the new covenant. And the promise of the Scriptures is that He will. I say this over you as a benediction, but here it is now as a promise of God's sanctifying work in your lives, now to Him who is able to keep you from falling, And to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen. The fear of God, that deep respect and reverence and awe and honor that we are to have toward our Lord is meant to motivate us toward sanctification toward doing what Paul tells us in Philippians, to work out our own salvation, knowing that God Himself is at work in us. God has delivered us from sin through the work of Christ. Now He calls us daily to put to death the sin He has freed us from in reverence for God. Amen, people of God. An important part, then, of fearing the Lord is growing in sanctification, which is in part a call to learn daily to say no to sin and yes to godliness. I talked about the positive side of this in the earlier point when I talked about being transformed into Christ's likeness. Yet this transformation, this transformation, or this sanctification, requires also that we put aside the deeds of our sin nature. Indeed, a deep respect or reverence for God moves us toward this very thing. If there is pride in me, the fear of the Lord should move me to deal with that pride before God and others. If there is violence in me, the fear of God should move me to deal with that violence before God and others. If there is lust in me, the fear of God should move me to deal with that lust before God and others. I think you get the point, right? Whatever's going on in my life, that reverence for God, that deep respect and honor and awe that I have of God and His glory and majesty should move me to dealing with what, what is going on in my own life, and my own heart. Whatever is in me that has to do with sin and death, the fear of the Lord should move me to deal with that before God and others. And dealing with it means repenting of it as well as working to walk in the way of God where I have failed. And we should do this mindful of the words of John again in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. So that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And this, and by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Amen, people of God. The fear of God, the fear of God, moves us to a greater appreciation of His glory. It leads. Toward sanctification, finally, it reminds us of our need for a mediator, it reminds us the fear of the Lord, reminds us of our need for a mediator. In verses 18 and 19 in verse 21, here's what we read. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And then verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The people's fear of God actually led to a right conclusion. They recognized their need for Moses' mediating work on their behalf. God had told Moses in chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God told Moses, in other words, that part of the purpose of his coming down in the way that he was about to come down was to confirm to the people the role that He had given to Moses. God had called Moses to deliver the people and to deliver them to the promised land. He had given to them the… given to him the special role of functioning as a mediator between God and the people. And now recognizing the power, the majesty of God. The people who have grumbled against Moses and would in the future realize at least in this moment that they need Moses to mediate for them. They they, they need Moses to talk to God for them and deliver His Word back to them. They, they, They need someone to stand between them and certain death. They need someone who will go into the darkness of that mountain for them. Come back alive. Moses, we can't draw near to God on our own behalf. We need a mediator to stand before God and on our behalf. And what the people could not know fully then is what you and I now know. You see, as great as Moses was, he was still just a man, he needed the same grace that he was mediating from God to the people. The only reason he could stand as a mediator is because of the grace of God. The only reason he could stand before God and hear his voice and not die is because of the grace of God. The only reason he could go into the darkness and come back out alive is because of the grace of God. But in the fullness of time, another man came on the scene. Only he was not just a man. He recognized that uh, that fear that the writer of Hebrews talked about the fear of death that every man labored under, he recognized the senses of death that every man was under due to the reality of their failure to live up to god 's standards, and this one stood between his people and the certainty of death. This one entered into the darkness of the grave from which no man had ever returned, only there was a difference between this one and Moses for This one, by his own testimony, declared regarding his own life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So death grabbed him, but it could not hold him. The grave engulfed him, but it could not keep him. Moses walked into the darkness and came back out because of God's grace. Jesus walked into the darkness and came back out because He is God. Death could not hold Him. The veil tore before Him. He silences the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of His glory, for He is raised to life again. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever, God he reigns, He is His is the kingdom, His is the glory, His is the name that is above all names. And because He is who He is, we can rejoice in the word of Hebrews. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. So, let us then with confidence, watch the change, let us then with confidence not stand far off because we can't approach the mountain. Let us with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says, draw near. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen, people of God. The call here is to remember that we need and have a mediator in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan wants to turn our rightful fear of the Lord into terror. wants us to fear fear approaching God, to to believe that we have no rights or privileges to the throne of grace. But it is not terror that we are invited into if our faith is in Jesus, but rather a deep respect and reverence for God. And in this deep respect and reverence, we are invited not away from the throne, but near it. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let Your own sin nature lie to you. Don't let the world in those places where it set itself against God lie to you. Don't let any of these enemies lie to you causing you to believe that you cannot approach the Lord. Jesus died. And his blood has gained us access to God. Even in our weakness and wretchedness, we are invited to come. Come, and receive His grace. Come and receive His love. Come and receive His wisdom. Come and receive His power. Come even and receive His correction. Don't ever forget that you have a great high priest. And sing the words of this song over yourself and over others. Jesus, my great high priest, offered his blood and died. My guilty conscience sees no sacrifice beside. His powerful blood did once atone. And now it pleads before the throne. And now it pleads before the throne. Amen, people of God. We are called to fear the Lord in the sense of that deep respect and reverence and honor that we owe to him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This fear is not meant to draw us away from God. Quite the opposite, it's meant to draw us near to him. For the fear of the Lord shapes us, giving us a greater appreciation of his glory, continued commitment to our role in sanctification, and a continued reminder of our need for a mediator. May this fear of the Lord be ever before us through faith in Jesus Christ who is our mediation, our mediator, who is our sanctification, and who is our glory. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise. We give You glory and honor and thanks for making us Your own people, for drawing us near to Yourself and reminding us in Jesus of Your great love for us. Help us, Lord, as your people to have a genuine and deep respect and awe and honor for you. A fear, Lord, a fear of the Lord that shapes us in every aspect of our lives. Indeed, Lord, I pray this over your people as I close, that they would taste and see That the Lord is good, that they would know that blessed is the person who takes refuge in you. I pray, as the psalmist invites us in Psalm 34, I pray that we would fear the Lord, we who are his saints, and know that those who fear him lack no good thing. Pray this in Jesus' name.